This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 691, brought to you by the new Audible original, Stan Lee's Alliances, A Trick of Light, and iFanboy listeners just like you. Hello, welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week. This is episode 691. <laughs> I'm Josh Flanagan. This is Connor Kilpatrick with me today. Hey, Josh. Those numbers get me every single time. You sounded like it was the first time you did it, or you were very surprised. I just, I looked at it, and I had read it before, and then I said it out loud, and I was like, and it's just, like, we've done this 691 times, each spaced a week apart. It's a lot. And that is insane. And I'm not going to get over that. So if you're like, oh, I wish they'd stop talking about it, it's just going to keep going up. It's so going to get worse. Exactly. We are iFanboy, and every week speculate about our, about our mortality mm-hmm. and we read our stack of comics and then one of us picks their favorite book and we call that the pick of the week we talk about that book other books there's a patron pick if we have time it just up oh, by the way i have a mobile device here and i'm gonna put a timer on it <laughs> in an hour it's gonna make a noise okay and we're gonna stop all right <laughs> <laughs> all right and that besides that it'll be fun although i think if that happens it will also be fun And then you'll hear us scramble. Okay, so here we go. Timer, one hour. Technically, I should make it a little less, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. There we go. It's off. Okay, good. (laughs) It's happening. Connor, you had the pick. I did. We we have been doing this for 691 episodes, 600 and some odd weeks. And I still forget that the week before Comic-Con, they dump all the books. I, I just forget. We're just so heads down on this stuff. We forget these are the truisms. And... For whatever reason, the week before Comic Con, it does it does make sense. I mean, I get they need people to sign stuff there, but like everything just gets lost in this week. Yeah, I and I look for next week in the preliminary list. I have like twelve books. Nice, which is great, when especially when you're at Comic Con. But like this week, it was like I was like pushing into the upper twenties, you know, yeah. realm. I, and I kept adding books. I was like, oh right, this book, shit. I even dropped some because that's what happens on a week like this. I did that too. Batman Universe number one. Was the pick of the week? Brian Michael Bendis, Nick Darrington, Dave Stewart, Josh Reed, an all-star creative team. As we talked about last week with Superman up in the air, this is the Batman Walmart book that's been coming out. Oh, I didn't Walmart. know. I was yeah. going to ask you what it was. Yes, this is the Batman Walmart book that for most of the year only people at Walmart could read. Now we're reading it. When Bendis was first announced coming over to DC, everyone thought for sure he'd be doing Batman because it seemed like a natural fit. And guess what it is? Nick Darrington, you may know, he did this awesome covers for Miracle Man. That's mostly where I know him from. Oh, right, yeah. And this is this <laughs> this is terrific. I actually had a really hard time. I finished all my books despite the overwhelming number of them on Wednesday. And I had a I had a really hard time coming down on one pick. I actually was told to sleep on it, which I did, and that, and it worked. This was the first book I thought about when I woke up in the morning, so this was the pick. But there's a lot of lot of really great books this week. I want to say that even though it was an overwhelming number of books, it was a lot of really great ones. So I had a really good time reading them. Um, but let's talk about Batman Universe. So opens with a terrific first person scene where Batman is arriving uh, at the Riddlers in the middle of a crime, and we get the 
him driving the Batmobile, him using the uh, his whatever the fuck the thing is. I was gonna say battering, but that's not it. His grappling hook Grappler. gun to you know go up the building. He, he sees a woman on the balcony, talks to her, enters the crime scene, all from the first person view, and was, I thought that was terrific. And then it just goes off from there as Batman battles mini Riddler doppelgangers to rescue a Fabergé egg, and then the mystery of the egg starts to unfold, which leads Batman to a small town and to Bendis' creation, Ginny Hex, who is the great-great-granddaughter of Jonah Hex, and it's his Fabergé egg. She's a character on Young Justice, which we're going to talk about next. I just love this. I love the art. I love the, I love the story. Green Arrow shows up at the end. Deathstroke's in it. This feels very much like a DC overview for Bendis, and as we talked about before, he's fit like a glove with the DC universe. And also, there was five Bendis books this week. Wow. This was a terrific Batman story. You know, we've been talking a lot about Tom King's Batman. It's a very specific kind of Batman story. Yeah. This is, I don't want to say your antidote to that, because that would imply that that was bad. But this is definitely your counterpoint, and this is a very traditional Batman story. Told extremely well, drawn extremely well, and the characterizations are fun. It's a little bit more of a lighthearted Batman. It's a little bit more of a chatty Batman, and I'm totally fine with that, because there have been those Batmans in the past. It feels like what I thought of as the Batman title mm-hmm. years ago. Actually, maybe it's Detective, but I think during that time, when we were first getting going with this, I think, well, I want to say, Rucka was on Detective. Mm-hmm. And, and Brubaker that, was on Batman. Yeah, but and then a bunch of other people. I don't think Brubaker was on it as long as Rucka. But, but like Rucka's thing was a very long, drawn-out story. Mm-hmm. You know, with and then and then over in Batman, it was m- more adventure. Yes, and and this felt like that, not just in the story, but in the sort of tone of the art. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out why I knew the name Nick Darrington. I know I'd heard it before, and the art was a little. I'm going to say rough, but I don't mean that in a bad way. It was looser, mm-hmm. I think, than than I've been used to seeing in Batman books. And I thought, well, maybe this guy's not sort of uh, as as uh, as much of a veteran as I, I, I think. But regardless, it's not a criticism. It's me trying to understand it. There are a couple of panels in here specifically. I know everybody focused on the the bit where uh, Batman jumps out of the sky and like the title you know, page. we're looking up at him. Yeah, yeah, the title page. Two pages later, there's a bit where he's fighting all the Riddlers. Mm-hmm. The top panel, the, the whole page is great, but the that crack. top panel, oh, it's so good. I almost used that for best of the week in panels. Yeah, there's a panel in New Frontier mm-hmm. uh, with the Flash punches King Faraday. Yeah. It's a lot like that. It reminds me of it, but it's beautiful. Then there's another. There's well, before another you die, I just say it, it. To me, it was very Marcos Martinez-esque. I could see that too. The body language seemed like something that's got a daredevil. Then there's another one later, 26 in your digital reader. Again, it's there's a fact. Deathstroke punches Batman across the face, and then in the middle mm-hmm. of the frame, we see one of Green Arrow's arrows coming at him, and it's it's a freeze frame, like yeah. it's still there's no motion lines on it. And it's out of place because we don't know the Green Arrow is there yet. Right. And I love that. Like, <laughs> that. Like, there's the punch, and like, what's that thing? And then you sort of put it together. Even though Green Arrow is at the bottom of the page, because of the way that that page is set up, you're not there yet. Yeah, and, and I hadn't it, seen Green Arrow yet. I, I, you know, I was so focused yeah. on the, the volume. Story. I mean, it's almost like this is a veteran writer and a really talented artist working together in a book. It's really terrifically done. That's the kind of thing that that arrow there normally... The way that people would do it is they would put that at the bottom of the page. 
and then the page turn would reveal sort of a bigger hero shot. Right. Because it's tough to have a surprise when you can actually just see the character. Literally, the logo is written on the page, <laughs> but they made it work. And when we talk about storytelling, we talk about the skills and all. This is a really good example of that, I think. Yeah. I wanted to call that out. I don't know how long this is going to go for the same way. I don't know how long the Superman book for Tom King is going to go for. I don't know how many issues at Walmart. I don't know how many pages were in those issues. I don't know. You know, I don't know how long. Is it six issues? Is it 12? Is it four? I don't know. Yeah. But I don't want to know. I know. What, what, what's great about it is I just don't, I don't want this to end because I think this is such a incredibly good creative team. I don't, I've never seen, as far as I know, Nick Darrington's interior work and it's, it's incredible. I don't know why he's yeah, not been working all the time. He's got a little bit of Paul Pope in him in, in some of the early Batman stuff. He has a little bit of like, a, uh, I don't say Mazzuccelli-esque, but I'm looking at Gin, the Ginny Hex pages and there's something there that I've... It's the simplicity of line. Yeah. That I find really attractive. A little bit of Darwin, you know, little Darwin, in the page, sure. in the in the, in the the storytelling. Dave Stewart coloring that does not hurt. Either. No, I mean, like I said at the beginning, this is an all-star team. Well, right, but the, like Dave Stewart colored New Frontier. Right, that's, that's true. I think one of the reasons that it looks familiar. We've always said this about Bendis, that he is very good at picking art. Yes. Him and uh, Remender might be the two best guys in terms of, and they're both yeah. artists themselves, so that, that makes sense, picking out artists for their work. And this is another incredible job. Nick Darrington should work all the time after this. I mean, he, I'm sure he does, but he should be on high-profile stuff. Especially in a, in a time, in an era, and in a week where you're seeing more and more, I would say, sub-professional work on major books, be, probably because they're putting out so much product. When you see guys like this show up who aren't on a regular book all the time, you just have to wonder what's going on. I'm sure there are reasons, and maybe he doesn't want to do a regular book. Like, for some people, doing that regular grind is not... I've learned that a lot from hearing people talk. Like, doing a monthly book's hard. And if you can make a living, uh, you know, from without having to do that that way, some people choose to. Sure, And I, I get that. Most of those guys who are given the opportunity to make a living just doing covers or, or commissions, take it. Yeah. Drawing 20-something pages a month is, is a lot of work. This book really stood out. We're not going to... I don't think we're going to talk about any of the books. I well, maybe one where I, there was a lot of subpar art this week. Again, uh-huh. to be able to look at this book and enjoy Bendis' Batman, who we've we've seen before in other books and Leviathan and things like that, but this was a full-on Batman adventure. It's interesting that you've got Superman guy on Batman and Batman guy on Superman. That's to me fun editing. Like yes, it is. Like really smart editing. I mean, look, we all thought Bendis would show up in Batman, but he he started as Superman instead. Unusual choice, and then here they swap it out. And it, it still works really well. It's a fun Batman. It's a it's a more it seems like more of like a I don't say seventies Batman, but definitely not like your super super grim and gritty Batman, which is fun. You know what the thing that stands out to illustrate that perfectly, uh, page fifteen when he shows up in town, like the Batmobile pulls up in the middle of day in this town. They took a whole page for this to make that. Yes. A, you know, like there's the street. You know, a sleepy town. Batmobile drives up, gets closer, parks. He walks out, and the, the only dialogue in that page is, now what the hell am I looking at exactly? <laughs> Batman walking across the street in broad daylight, as colored by Dave Stewart. That's right there is a huge signal. Like, they took a whole page for that. Yeah. And that is a different thing. And I loved it. I was like, Batman just walking around this town. <laughs> like, he drove somewhere. Like, did he stop for gas? Right. What is, the, what is the mileage on that thing? It's not. Can't be good. No, it can't. So he would have had to stop somewhere. He's definitely he's got to go to a self-serve station. God forbid he lives in one of those places where they have to pump it for you, New Jersey, Oregon. Right. You know, did he get Doritos? Right. It's great. How many miles outside of Gotham is this small town? Yes. He didn't just show up in the Batwing. You know, he drove. 
That's also interesting. I hadn't thought of that. He's got helicopters. He's got boats. He's got planes. He was just like, I, like need to, I need to clear my head. I got to take, take a road trip. There's a lot going on. And is this like, is this the touring model of the Batmobile? <laughs> like, he's got one for short distances and he's got one for sort of, oh, this is a longer trip. Right. This, this is the more fuel efficient one that doesn't go as fast. Right. Does he have a road trip playlist? Listen to a podcast? I wasn't going to read this. I actually kind of, for whatever reason, it's busy. I kind of just skipped over it. I think I didn't like the cover. I was like, I don't like that logo. And you put it on the list. And I was like, fine, I'll read it. And I was so happy I did. I'm just just flipping through it now. God, it's gorgeous. Dave Stewart's treasure. Dave Stewart is, he's a national treasure. Yeah. So the other book that was, uh, I read Batman Universe last. So it was, okay. it was the hammer. But for a long time, it was going to be Young Justice number seven, also by Brian Michael Bennett, featuring art by John Timms. David LaFuente and Dan Hip, two Dan Hip books this week. I, yeah, I was going to say, he was in another book. That's crazy. The Gem World story that opened up this book is over. At the end of that story, they were sent out of Gem World. They were exiled. So what happened here is there was a mistake in the exiling, and they are now floating free in the multiverse. And so you've got Tim Drake and Superboy and Impulse and Wonder Girl from the old team, old continuity, and you've got Teen Lantern and Ginny Hex and Amethyst. Just to point out, one of the things they're going to be dealing with this, in this arc is why do they all remember the old continuity? Or at least why do some of them remember the old continuity? Because that's still not going away for whatever reason. Anyway, what you've got here is a delightful romp through the multiverse. And you've got a couple of characters who've never experienced that. So you have some very realistic reactions to why the fuck are they talking animals or little Dan Hip chibi characters. While some of them are very used to it, others are not. And it was a very fun issue. They open up in a Dan Hip world where everyone's cartoony and small. And so that's freaking them out. Then they go to like uh, the, Cap- the Captain Carrot world where all the an- all the ca- people are animals. And that really freaks out Teen Lantern and Ginny Hex. And they have a very realistic reaction to some of this stuff. Like, why are you acting like this is normal? But the main story, they end up in the Kingdom Come world. And they don't know it at first. It, it, looks, like the- it looks like their world. And if they think they're home. And then they realize very quickly it's not. They encounter the post-Kingdom Come Justice League. So Superman and... And uh, Alan Scott and Wonder Woman and Power Girl and Dick Grayson. There, there's a very interesting cl- clash of cultures amongst the two in this group and that group. It was just a hell of a lot of fun and a fun trip through the DCU. And really, again, it really shows Bendis's you know deep knowledge of of DC. I mean, all this time, you know, he was very much the company man at Marvel, but clearly he was not slacking on DC reading during during the time. No, he was I mean, I mean it, that also could be. I mean, he's got a deep knowledge clearly or at least a a passable knowledge that that can come off as deep but you know it might be his talent too to just understand mm-hmm. and translate you know but he does seem to be pretty like he knows the point like put deathstroke in here oh good right. call you know like and and you know you know like well you know what you know who's great green arrow with batman let's do that you know those are all sort of they're just good marks to hit basically and to, he to show that you understand it because he's doing so many books he's he's sort of able to tie things in However, subtly, uh, in that Batman issue, there was a point where Ginny was rooting through her trunk, and that that trunk has been a it's been a sort of a background plot point throughout throughout this book. It's been in the back of her her pickup truck. She won't let anybody touch it. And then here, uh, Doctor Fate from the Kingdom Come world senses something amiss, and he opens the trunk, and you get the Marcellus Wallace light coming out of the briefcase moment where he <laughs> sees something. He says, "Oh shit! This is this should not be here." We gotta get these guys out of here right now. So we don't know what's in that trunk that freaked out Doctor Fate. 
but um, it did, and that's how they that's how they leave the Kingdom Come world because he's like they gotta go. But of course, he does the math wrong and sends them to another another wrong planet. Uh, he didn't carry the two. It's basically one of your classic, you know, lost in the multiverse stories. That's that's the name of it. In fact, but yeah, it, it, it allows you to really terrible. Play. It sounds like you would hate it. <laughs> yeah, but for me, this is like candy. Sure, I like seeing all the different art. David Lafuente, he showed up recently in a book. I think Josh, you were off that episode. But I, I don't know where the hell he's been, because he's great. Um, I mean, he's in he's in Spain. He's having <laughs> probably having a much long lunches, much more relaxing life than I'm having. But still, when he took over Ultimate Spider Man again, a Bendis book, he he was a really strong breath of fresh air, really exciting energy. And then he went away or did other books I wasn't reading, and I haven't seen him forever. But he shows up here for a bit, and it's great. Uh, so you know, again, Bendis keeps getting great people to do his books. I love how they're tied in. This book was a lot of fun. For a DC fan, I really enjoyed it. And I also really enjoyed another big review, uh, book that came out this week. Second comic number one, Mark Russell, Richard Pace with inks by Leonard Kirk, who is important because it changes the style of the book. This was the book that was dropped from Vertigo for whatever reason and showed up at Ahoy Comics. Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy. You interviewed Mark Russell, so people may not know. He, he comes from a theology background. Yeah, uh, his first, like, the first couple of things that he published on, you should go listen to that to have some background on this. The first couple of things that he published with Top Shelf were basically, like, translations of the Bible written in, like, uh, like just regular plain speak. So you could, he sort of, like, wrote, like, well, this is what it's actually saying. This is what the story is. And he sort of, I haven't read it in a while. I can't remember the names, but. Like, that was the deal. And there's a lot of that in this. Like, he knows the text. And he, that's, religion's been a theme he's, he's, just, yeah. he's delved into in other books. He's certainly in the Flintstones in his, yep. his sort of takedown of organized religion. Here, we literally have a book about religion in which it starts off with your familiar stories in which God is making the earth. He deals with Adam and Eve. Nothing goes well. He, people are awful. The Ten Commandments don't work in helping making people better. Everybody just in the, the central tenet in humanity is that they find new and better ways to be awful toward each other. He sends his son to Earth, whose son is born immaculately and is crucified. The familiar Bible story, which takes a turn as we jump to the present day with superheroes, and God decides to send, or Jesus decides to go down one more time to try to help humanity and ends up living with and sort of teaming up with this version of Superman. That's sort of the overall story. So a couple of things before I think we get specifically into it is that, you know, this book has been getting a lot of attention Mm -hmm. because this is the kind of thing that people who like to complain about things give attention to. Mm -hmm. And it just reading it, it's completely unwarranted. (laughs) Like it's so this is like uh, I was actually literally just watching footage of like Life of Brian. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like that. Where somebody's like, I can't believe you have Jesus doing this. And Michael Palin points out, he goes, Jesus is actually just saying the words in the Bible. The joke is that we cut away from someone else who's not paying attention. Right. You know, that's a lot like what this is. It's 100% like the Jesus in here is like, you'd be be like, oh, yeah, I like this Jesus. Right. And then the other other point I think I was going to make is that this is so a Vertigo book from 10 to 15 years ago (laughs) when they were brave and would do things like this. And it is so sad. Yeah. That that they were like, now we can't touch this now. It's so sad because this is, you know, if you've read Garth Ennis or you've read, if you've read Preacher, you know, like it's, yeah. it's from that cloth. 
it was really fun. I, I had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah, I mean, God's a little over the top. That would be my yeah. only my only criticism of the book, and, and not not <laughs> not in that, a bad that way. That's out of context is great. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I mean uh, it's just he's a little bit maybe too notches too much, but like not not to the detriment of the book. Yeah, but he said the phrase, and don't think we're not going to hear this again. I'm just busting your meat. <laughs> <laughs> it is. 12.45 a.m. last night, I read, I'm just busting your meat, and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I like Jesus on Earth with Superman, basically. You know, Superman is busting up these bad guys and... Threw a shoe at him. Threw a shoe. That was weird. Threw a shoe at him. Jesus lets them all go after talking to them. He's like, what? what why did you do that? Healing them. And then, you know, the, the standard sort of joke, why are there crosses everywhere? Because like, it's, it's, it's for you. He's like, well, this is, this is a trigger warning. You know, it's Mark Russell's very incisive look at humanity and at systems through a theological lens, which is just a specialty, and it it's good. And there was some very, you know, emotional stuff in here, too. Yeah, no, all the flashbacky stuff. I love that. That was my favorite bit of the book. Right, so he, t- he tells the joke about the trigger warning on the on the cross and then he goes back and he sort of tells the story of it and then his friend who you know the shimon and the first thing that we had seen is is you know he brought him in gave him a thing he loved it then he and jesus gave him his carpenter shop and and then then that all sounds great and then when you go revisit him is really sad and then you know jesus gives him the hug and i was like this is this is wonderful yeah that was a really emotional scene where he hugs shimon who built the cross I mean, it's it's a Mark Russell book, which is yeah. a cliche thing to say for us, but like, it's funny, it's emotional, it's insightful, it's satirical, and it has a lot of interesting and good things to say. And the art's great. It, the art is perfect. Yeah, so I, it was, I it's the same artist, Richard Pace, but Leonard Kirk inks the modern day stuff, so it has a bit more I of a Leonard Kirk superhero look to it, and then the past stuff and or the, the heaven stuff, because there's current day in heaven has a scratchier, more indie vibe to it. Yeah. I liked it. It looked great. It looked really great. <laughs> the first shot of Adam looking at his penis is just like, look at that. It's great. <laughs> On page four. It's really funny. That was interesting too, you know, the, the apple as metaphor for sex. Yeah. It seems obvious, but maybe not for everybody. The apples are shaped like penises and vaginas, so that's yeah, really hits it home. Also, and, and I know because we are fully enmeshed in reading Neil Stevenson's Fall, that opening scene with Adam and Eve and then the, the angels and God, it's like, there's some, there's some parallels here. Well, we're seeing it everywhere now. Yeah. That's a great shot, too, where, where God is expelling them from the, the garden with the angels with the flaming swords behind them. That's another yep. beautiful panel. It's a great book. It's a really it's great book. It's a good book. book. And, and, like, I, I really, I mean... I, I can't say how it is to feel to be offended by it, but it, it seems like it's saying the things you'd want it to say. It's no more or less offensive than Preacher. It's l- less offensive. L- less offensive, I, th- I think. <laughs> if you love Jesus, how do you not love this Jesus? You know who else did a book like this? Robert Kirkman. It was called Battle Pope. Look it up. That's true. <laughs> and it wasn't this good. Actually, Tony Moore also. Avengers. Avengers Hot Tub Party. Yeah. Avengers 21. It's a it's a lot more hot tub than I'm used to in an Avengers book. Well, this is the epilogue to the War of the Realms. You know, actually, I really like this issue. On the one hand, on the other hand, this was one of those books where I thought the art was subpar, and if the yeah, art, art had been better, just would have been a pick of the week contender because I love the decompression issues after the big event. Mm-hmm. This is 
all the Avengers hanging out, dealing with the, the emotional and physical fallout of War of the Realms, plus, you know, kicking off new stories with Black Panther and whatever's going on with Coulson. Mostly it was the Avengers hanging out, mostly in a hot tub. Yeah, and they're very close to each other. There's a lot of things that happen here that I'm I'm sort of unaware of. You know, and I don't even know if the art is bad, but it doesn't seem right for this. Mm-hmm. Like, there are other books that I could see this working just fine on, but there's bits of this where I just... I was like, what, who is this? Why is this happening? And I, I guess they probably just used everybody up on the War of the Realms. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one of the things that I liked is it's nice to see the guys and girls hanging out and talking and sort of seeing what they've got going on. Captain Marvel and Ghost Rider had a nice little chat with each other. And you're like, why does Tony have his helmet on in the hot tub? And it's because he's doing a bunch of stuff because Steve comes in and tries to you know, guilt them. And they're like, yeah, we're taking care of it. Right. He's piloting remote drones. And as we go through the issue, we're basically getting further and further into the heads of the people. Mm-hmm. It's an old-timey, like, 70s kind of book thing that, like, you know, She-Hulk will say a thing, and then inside you hear what she's actually thinking. And, you know, that used to be most of what comics were for a while. Right, especially Marvel. Yeah, there was a lot of really good things in here, I think, story-wise. And then at the end, I really like that we're getting back to the stuff that was happening before war of the realms they didn't just abandon all that stuff so you've got the dracula stuff going on you've got this weird squadron supreme and phil colson and i'm hoping that that's like he's not him or something because yeah i can't so... imagine they would make phil colson a villain so there's yep. gotta be some reason behind it well, obviously mephisto's tease at the end so maybe that's what it is you're right there's a very unusual page for the time at the end when they're all in the hot tub and tony reveals he's afraid to tell them he's basically not really Tony Stark anymore. He's a clone of a clone. Mm-hmm. Steve is preoccupied with all their threats. Yeah. He can't relax. Thor, despite being worthy again, being the all-father now, is still concerned if he picks up the hammer, they won't lift. Captain Marvel's worried about the Kree and that they're not ready for it. And Ghost Rider's still scared of what he is. I don't know the last time I saw a thought balloon. The only one who doesn't have any deep thoughts is She-Hulk. She'd already had them. And then that page ends on a nice note where, like, Ghost Rider's like, at least not alone. Like, so he right. feels like he's part of the team, which is what we're talking about. And then the whole time, Black Panther, who's actually the head of this thing, he's off dealing with shit. The boss doesn't get to relax. Yeah. It's, it's so weird that Captain America is not in that position, but whichever. He didn't have the hit movie now, did he? The page where, where S.H.I.E.L.D. gets into the hot tub is, I think, my favorite. Because everybody gets a reaction. Some mm-hmm. of them are in words, some are not. Like Thor's like, yeah! <laughs> Steve Rogers covers his face and turns away. Oh, Lord, because he's, you know, it's just, it's it's really funny. And then you see Ghost Rider, who is the guy in the hot tub with a t-shirt, which is also funny. Right. Uh, you know, he's looking away, covering his face, but also looking at the same time. Well, she's, no, Captain Marvel's covering his face. Oh, she is. Oh, that's right. That's even better. Yeah, so everybody gets a little character blip there. You know, and in that way, I think the art was handled pretty well. There's a lot of sort of character storytelling to do. I don't know that I really like the figure drawing all that much, but I think that that stuff worked. Yeah, I thought the figures and the faces were strange. Like, if you look at the bottom of that page, Captain Marvel and his face is bizarre. There was some weird framing stuff where there was a lot of negative space in some of these hot tub scenes. Yeah, that's true. Totally right. The art wasn't certainly as bad as other books this week, but it was, I thought, below the standards of what an Avengers book should have. We're also stuck in this thing now where the big event has happened and we have to think about how long we're going to be dealing with the aftermath of the thing, which I hate. I think not long because everything's moving pretty quick, including Thor 15, Jason Aaron, Mike Del Mundo. This is the last issue of Thor that Jason Aaron's writing as this wraps up and King Thor starts next. Right. So Mike Del Mundo is exiting with this. 
and then Isad Ribic is coming back with King Thor to sort of bookend the whole thing. Right. And so this is the fallout from everything from Thor's perspective as he is made Allfather. We basically check in with all the main characters from Thor. You know, Loki asserts himself as king of Jotunheim. Malekith is in the land of the dead. And particularly first you think gruesome punishment and then at the end it's revealed to be different than what you think. I thought that was a very nice turn. Yeah, I thought it was particularly, I was like, wow, that's really, really rough. Yeah. Even for Jason Aaron. And then you get a little bit more time with the three Thors who get time with Odin, which was a great scene. I told you, a week full of great books, this is another one. There was an issue of Thor a couple of months back where it's basically Odin going through everything and, and again, inner monologue, sort of like acting one way and getting right. inside, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. And this was a really nice bookend to that. And so he had set it up so when Thor or when Odin has his turn, you know, and says, you know, you're the Allfather now, you've deserved it, I'm proud of you. Like, it means something. It isn't from out of nowhere. He hugs all his boys at once. Yep. Or all his yeah. Thors. And I think it's really good because for a really long time now, at least since that first Thor movie, and, and really before that, like, uh, much before that, but really Odin has been this, like, almost an enemy within the family, and it sort of started to not make sense. Yeah. Like, it was so horrible. Like, he was getting worse and worse and worse in all the depictions of him. And so this sort of recenters it. And you could easily say, well, this isn't what the character would do. And I was like, well, what the character was doing was getting really boring. Right. And I think that this works as a way to sort of reset the table. Do you like Mike Del Mundo? I do. And I, he's different. I love the look of terror he puts on their faces when they have to talk to each other about their feelings. Because this is not, <laughs> this is not a family. I'm looking at, at page uh, 18 here. Yep, I was I was right there. Odin's about to re- tell his th- sons he's proud of him, and the look of Thor's face is like he—he's just seen the worst thing he's ever seen before. Uh, yes. This is this is not a family full of men who express their feelings, other than uh, excitement and bloodlust. He's great for Thor, especially yeah. this style. It has a very mythological feel to it. Yeah, it's like mystical and cartoony at the same yeah. time. It's really interesting. It, it works really well for this. Reminds me of the old Dragon Slayer video game cartoon. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to talk about Audible. Support for the show is brought to you by the new Audible original, Stan Lee's Alliances, A Trick of the Light. In one of Stanley's final and most innovative works, the legend invites audiences to unleash the power of their own imagination to bring a new universe and a cast of superheroes to life. Performed by Yara Shahidi, star of Gronish and the Sun Also is a Star, and one of today's brightest talents, and featuring a captivating introduction from Lee himself, this new superhero origin story takes on the ever-blurring line between humanity and technology while agitating the central question of our day, what is more real, a world where we're born into or one we create for ourselves? Both epic and intimate, fascinating and funny, this is essential. Stan Lee, listen free for with a 30-day trial. Go to audible.com slash ifanboy or text ifanboy to 500-500. Stan Lee's alliance is a trick of the light. The power to change changes everything. You can explore all the ways listening to Audible can help improve your mind, body, and soul with entertainment, information, and inspiration. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial, and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. That's audible.com slash ifanboy, or text ifanboy to 500-500. If I could add an unscripted thing here, mm-hmm. this is not part of what they asked me to say. I'm an Audible member, mm-hmm. and I had actually I turned my subscription down to basically I get a book every two months, mm-hmm. and I pay like a different amount, but I still get two Audible originals every month. Mm-hmm. They're really good. I have listened to multiple 
Audible originals over the past year. I just listened, and I, and and I wanted to tell like you. I was like, oh, you got to listen to this. Is one I just listened to called Dead Drink First, I think, and it's about a man whose father was in World War II and never talked about it and died, and mm. like had this one photo, and he had to go. He found the guy where he was buried and brought him back to the to the states to be buried in Arlington. Mm-hmm. Is amazing. Mm. It was amazing. It's you get two every month. Like it's the same subscription that you would have always had with Audible. It's just the add of these other things in. And there's been a ton of them that I have I listened to and really loved. It's really worth it. And they're not like short. I've been listening to those over podcasts lately, quite honestly, because they're they're meaty. You know, some are two, three, four, five hours. So what are they? They're original productions. There's been fiction. There's been nonfiction. There's mm. documentary. There's comedy bits. There's all sorts of things, but they've got heft behind them. They have production. They have thoughtfulness and like time. They're not this, what we're doing. <laughs> no one should do this. It's just an added bonus on top of what you were already getting with your sort of monthly, bi-monthly book or whatever your plan is. That's awesome. So check out audible.com slash iFanboy or text iFanboy to 500-500 to check this out. You get a 30-day free trial. War of the Realms, Omega number one. This is the, what was the, the Requiem? This, what was the Civil War Requiem? We had two books this week, and we're going to talk about the next one next, in which basically they served to tee up storylines for the rest of the year. Yeah. And not necessarily complaining, because I thought they both did it really well, but yeah. it was interesting that they both happened this week. I like it and don't like it. On the one hand, I, like some of it in there is good, but I also feel like I've been I'm trying I'm being sold a commercial for what's coming up. This is yes, the, no, this, know, is, this, is a, this is a book of trailers, sort of. Mm-hmm. So you've had four stories. You have a Daredevil and Heimdall story that Jason Aaron and Ron Garney did, and you had a Jane Foster <laughs> turning into Valkyrie story that Al Ewing and plus Jason Aaron plus Cafu, a Loki story from Daniel Kibblesmith and Oscar Bazulda, and a Punisher story from Jerry Duggan and Juan Ferreira. I Read the Daredevil and Heimdall story. That was terrific. I read, yes. read and enjoyed the Jane Foster story. I skimmed the Loki and Punisher stories. I thought that the Daredevil bit was good. Really good. Really, really good. This is what you're looking for from an event. The emotional fallout. Daredevil had the power of a god. He had to give it up. How does he deal with that? He's taking it very hard. And I, yeah. I thought that was incredible. Didn't really care for the Valkyrie one. Oh, interesting. I got really annoyed. The reveal page was double page spread, and it was set up in such a way that it read wrong. Hmm. It read across the page, so you ruined her reveal instead of the conversation before it. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah, it, that didn't work. That's the kind of thing like that just bugs me. Like mm-hmm. it didn't ruin it. But then at the end of it, I just thought I thought we were getting somewhere that was interesting, and instead it was just next week on. And I was like, eh. like I thought it was going to be another story because of that Daredevil thing in the two or three pages that it had before that, you know. That's the, uh, the, the bookend, yeah. The Loki story I thought was really good and interesting. I was a little hard to place. I don't really want to read a lot of it, but I didn't mind it for a few pages. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Uh, and then I, I, I don't, I don't care about the Daredevil. I, Punisher or not? Or Punisher? I mean, yeah. I just I like Loki as a character a lot. I don't mm-hmm. love him like everyone seems to, which is really them loving Tom Hiddleston, who I do love. Yes. I don't really care to read Loki as a main character. Or no. his own book. I didn't read the Kieran Gillen stuff. I just don't seem to love him as much as other people do. As a foil for Thor, great. Or someone else. Have him, you know, like, yeah. As a morally ambiguous ally or villain or foil, like, he's great in small doses. Punisher is what he is. Sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's not. The more supernatural, the worse for me with the Punisher. So yeah, him as exactly. a sort of god, hunter, don't really care about. Uh, everyone's starving post the War of the Realms in Manhattan, so he barbecues one of the dead frost giants. I'm like, people are not going to eat gross. that. People are not going to yeah. eat that. 
That's not how barbecue works either. Yeah. You he can't just, just shoot something with a flamethrower and have it be delicious. He didn't season it. There was no brining, and it, it's just going to be well done. Some bloodthirsty guy in a hat with a plug on it and a knife. And I don't I mean, like the art. I get that starving people are are not going to have standards, but that's a. It's not like he barbecued like a giant boar. It's a fucking like giant with a from another dimension. Yeah. It's, there's. I mean, it's still humanoid. It'd be like it, it were to be like eating a gorilla, and I'm not cool with that either. Out of these four books, obviously you're going to read King Thor. Yes. You're going to read Valkyrie? Mm, probably not. I might check it out. Because I'm going to check it out, and I didn't read her Thor stories. So that's interesting. But that was good, and you didn't read it. That was the best one. This is just like, let's try to keep her in the spotlight for a little while with a character that matters less, so the stakes are much lower. And so unless the story is wonderful, which it could be, but, but the stakes in Jason Aaron's story were so high is that you know she – was Thor, everyone in Asgard didn't like her for it, except some did. And if she used the power, it sped up her cancer. But if she didn't, she was dying. You know, there's a lot of great things, and I don't know. I don't know what the story's going to be at all. She should have been Valkyrie in the first place. And then I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to read Punisher or Loki. I don't agree with that, but that's fine. No, I'm not reading. I'm definitely not reading. I, haven't, I don't read Punisher books. I can't do it. You've read them in the past. Don't say you can't. I read that Mitch Garrett's one. You read but even Greg that, Rucka like, and... like looking at it. Yeah. You've done it. But never for very long. No, that's okay. I understand. The other book is that Amazing Spider-Man 25, although less of a pure trailer book, it definitely was serving to set up the new storylines going forward post the Craven story. This was 60 pages of Spider-Mania, no title page. Mm. There was three stories in here, and the two backup stories had their own interior title pages, but the main story had like three different artists on it, and I'm fairly certain I know who they were, but I don't know for sure. I definitely don't know who right. colored it. I definitely don't know who, who lettered it. And this is, there was two Marvel books I did that this week. I really liked the main story with Mary Jane focusing I on her too. career, going to a silly Broadway show based on the Fantastic Four, saving the day, realizing she wants to be an actress still. I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I was happy to continue reading it. I'm glad that they're going to focus on her a little bit. Yeah, I do too. I think that was interesting and, and like, you know, like, well, what have you been doing? She's like, well, I did all these things. And you're like, that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't care about the lizard and his family all that much. Yeah, I don't care at least family. not to the extent of the time that we've spent with him. They've been a major presence in this entire run of Nick Spencer's. I like the lizard as a villain. You mm -hmm. can even say he's interesting as sort of a man bat esque character. It's the same character basically, where you know the doctor experimented on himself, and now he's sort of fighting a monster within. That can be interesting, but I don't really care about his son. I don't really care about. It. I mean, I just. I just don't care. Yeah. So is Peter going back to school? Yeah, I, I thought it was a clever way to sort of de-age him a bit more. It was that since he lost his credentials and everything when he was revealed to be a cheat, although he wasn't really a cheat because it was Otto Octavius, he basically now has to retake everything. So now he's a student in college again, which I thought was, was, was really yeah. smart. So clearly Mysterio, who was the villain in the movie, is going to be fucking with Mary Jane and her career. You know, this other character, this demon character we met before, who's going to basically, looks like, attack everyone in Peter's life. That'll be interesting. Yeah. You know, it's the funny thing is that, like, I I, I would be cool to just watch Mary Jane's career story. <laughs> I don't need a supervillain. And when he showed up, I was like, oh, just show me. And I know that's not what comic books are. I, I know it, but I that was my instinct. I did really love, until the reveal, that she's in the news for saving the day. Her agent calls her, and he's like, hey, I've been working hard for you this whole time. It's like, you motherfucker. This is why no one's taking your side <laughs> in, the, in the fight with the writers. <laughs> and then the final story is about female Electro 
And then she gets rescued by a crew of female villains as a female beetle and a female Dr. Octopus. And I don't know what the other ones are, but uh, this is like a story from like 20 years ago. And when, when Marvel made all the villains female for a while. Yep. This is a Patrick Gleason, I believe, drawn bit at the end. I believe he was announced as one of the new artists in this book. Cool. Of course, the big reveal in that story is, is Spider-Man 2099, who we've seen before in this timeline. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I thought this was really fun. I mean, I, I really like Spencer's book. We've talked about it a lot. I think he's, sure. he's, he's really good with these characters. He's great. Peter Parker, great Mary Jane. Ryan Otley did most of the art in this. He's great. So even though this, there's some stuff in here I didn't love and it's a bit of a trailer, I did like this issue a lot. Connor, 16 minutes to go. Invisible Woman number one. Again, no credits page. <laughs> no credits page for Invisible Woman number one. I want to mention this because I saw it in the list, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw that Mark Wade was a writer, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, because I haven't read anything from him in a while. Yeah. I like him a lot. The art by Mattia de Ulis is not great. One of those styles where... It's, it's a style thing. It wasn't bad. I just don't like the style. Did you read it? I did. I did. It's with a style where it's very finely drawn, and then all the details done in the coloring, and I just don't, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. It looks unnatural. Everyone looks like they're mannequins. I did like the page, the reveal where she's in her Fantastic Four outfit, and it's like the 60s one. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of standing on her disc of invisibility. And this is a spy story. It turns out, and I don't know if there's been precedent for this, but <laughs> in her off time, Sue Storm has been sort of moonlighting as a spy. And her rule is she won't kill anyone. But now her old buddy who she would flirt with. By the way, she's starting little faux relationships with a bunch of people. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> yeah. It's not okay. It's not. And and it's a problem, and Reed's a good guy, and they need to be up front. Maybe they are. If they're open about it, I'm fine with it. There's a lot of emotional availability she has to her coworkers. Exactly. No, that makes sense, though. That that does work. I, I can get behind that. Anyway, she uh, has to go save the dude, shoots off to Madripoor, and then runs into uh, Black Widow. And now there's going to be an adventure with the two of them. It's, it's good, Mark Wade. We've seen her in that Captain America story with like the, all the female... Yeah, you know, characters being led by Sharon Carter. So I guess there's some minor precedent for her being like a secret agent, and I don't have a problem with it necessarily. Like, you know, the, the idea that she has a lot of downtime in the mm-hmm. Fantastic Four because Reed's always busy and Johnny and the Thing are off doing their their thing, and so she doesn't have a lot to do. So she goes off and helps Shield. And, and I think Mark Wade's good about powering her down to a certain extent because mm-hmm. over time, for all sorts of reasons, they you know they keep making her more and more powerful so she's almost omnipotent and in this they sort of damp that down a little bit although she still uses her expanded abilities to like make certain objects invisible or certain you know that's very useful for a spy and there was one brief moment of real nick fury there for a second i was like oh that's cool yeah and then he goes he of course goes away and it was terrible because i was like oh that's the nick fury i want out of life there was another book where he showed up and i was like there's nick fury yep it was in adventures it was an lmd that's right that's where he was i liked it Adam Hughes cover. I don't know who I don't know who did the bad coloring. I don't know who did the anything, but I did enjoy him as well. Woman. So we're gonna get to the patron pick in a second, but the second place patron pick book, it was close, it was Black Hammer, Justice League, Hammer of Justice number one, the crossover from DC and Dark Horse, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Michael Walsh. I assume well, I don't know if you read this or not, because for a while it was gonna be the patron pick, but it wasn't, and you don't read Black Hammer. I read it. Okay. Well, I wanted to see Michael Walsh's art. That's why I read it. It's designed for people like you. It basically takes place in a nebulous time in the Black Hammer world while they were still stuck on the farm before they escaped. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it's not in the continuity. You don't need to worry about it. it just It's a familiar setup from the like the first year of Black Hammer, which is yep. the most popular. It's a very setup issue. There's not a lot of meat here yet. Correct. But the art looked great. 
It did. I like the coloring. We spent a lot of time with the Black Hammer people who I don't really know particularly well. I think my favorite bit was after the Justice League folks had been trapped there for about 10 years. <laughs> and Clark is like, we have farm work to do. You know, Batman's not letting it go. And it was all about that. It's the parallels, you know, so. Yeah. The Black Hammer crew is trapped in this farm. Some of them are happy to live there. Some of them are tr- constantly trying to escape. Then something cosmic happens and the Black Hammer people are sent to, I want to say 60s era DCU because it's the terrible Flash costume. But they're sent to the DCU and the Justice League is sent to the farm. And they've clearly been living there for a long time. So they basically just swap it. So again, it's a very set up issue. Not much happens other than that. Where is Michael Walsh from? Michael Walsh is Canadian. I mean, work-wise. What do you mean? What has he done before? He kicks around a lot. He hasn't really had that great sort of run. He was on he was on Secret Avengers for a while. I think that was one of his first mainstream books. For a while, he seemed like a Chris Somney type of guy. And I think that he's divested from that yeah. a little bit. You know, he's a good guy. I don't think he's really got his shot. But I also don't know where necessarily he fits in. He fits here. He No, he does. I think in a mainstream sense, like, he's got to find his way onto, like, a big book that is noticed by a lot of people and then you will start to see him more regularly but he's one of those guys like artists like you know he's well respected but i don't think he's popular hmm. well if you're a black hammer fan this this is probably must read i think i think you can check this out if you've never read black hammer and you're interested in, in that world a little bit it gives you a taste of that and hmm. uh we'll see where it goes from here black hammer has been a jeff lemire treatise on silver age dc anyway so it makes sense although i'm surprised considering that that didn't like take place in the silver age for the DC yeah. characters. But then again, they are seemingly averse to anything that doesn't take place in the modern day. Those are some of the books we wanted to talk about. There was a lot of books we could have talked about more, but we're under the gun of Josh's tyrannical alarm clock. Hurry up. Patreon pick. If you're at patreon.com slash ifanboy, you can vote to add a book to the rundown this week. The votes are almost entirely between Black Hammer Justice League and Giant Size Ecstatics number one, Peter Milligan, Michael Allred, Laura Allred, Nate Picos. Nate Picos also did Black Hammer. He was going to get the patron pick no matter what. Yeah. Blambot. Blambot. Also, when did Mike Allred add Doc to the middle of it? When when did he become Doc Allred? When was that a thing? I've seen that before. All right. I don't know. So this is a return of the early 2000s book. This book was a big deal in what I would say was the last pure golden age of comic book making, which was the early 2000s. Yeah, it came out along the same time as Grant Morrison's X-Men. Mm-hmm. It was in that sort of era when... Joe Casada had just taken over as sort of as the IC of Marvel, and they were they were post bankruptcy pre films. That's to me the, yeah. the last golden era of comic making, two thousand two thousand eight, when things were still still about the comics, man. Yeah, you're right. You could do books like this in which Peter Milligan and Mike Allred examined superheroes through the lens of what at the time was the burgeoning reality TV culture, which was really about celebrity which is, you know, boomed into YouTube and Instagram and all those things. It's basically the culture now, uh, writ large. It was his ecstatics who was at the time X-Force, that they changed their names to ecstatics and became reality TV stars and had adventures. And you did not like that book. I, I didn't like not like it in terms of like, this is terrible. I just didn't get into it. And I, I kind of didn't care. Mm. And I'm not a giant uh, Doc Allred <laughs> fan. Which is so interesting. I still don't really like it. I think that there's a dysmorphia to the bodies mm-hmm. that is a feature of the art that I don't like. It's so fascinating because 
like I understand you not liking Jim Lee. I totally that makes sense to me. It doesn't make uh-huh. sense to me not not liking Michael Red. You specifically. I know. I look at it and I see a lot of attractive things about it, and I I understand why people like it. I just kind of don't, and I don't know exactly why. <laughs> so this story is you know in the quote unquote present day, and I I don't remember the events of the original book. That did you well. read all of it? Yeah, I did, but it was also eleven years ago. And there's been a lot of roads between then and now. Oh yeah, I guess that some of the hard miles, some of the characters got killed, and they all didn't make it. So here we meet the sister of the main character from the blue skin girl from the original book. Turns out it's not the sister; it's actually her daughter. So she has to reform the team with the surviving members plus some new ones. One of them is the son of one of the original members, and and Dupe is there, of course. Everyone's favorite character, Dupe. It's basically just reforming the team because there's a threat. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot because I like this world and this sort of aesthetic. I I, I enjoyed it. It did a good job of uh, catching me back up, I think. Mm-hmm. Since we time jumped, I don't have to pick up right where they were. But there was definitely a very skillful sort of you know way to catch us up without just explaining it to us in a first page. Get an idea of sort of some of the twists and stuff that some of the characters gone on. But you could also sort of just meet them and know them through here. Mm-hmm. I, if you always wondered about it, this seems like a pretty good place to pick it up. It was pretty good pete milligan has always been a guy like he's done some stuff that i really liked and he's done some stuff that i i really just didn't connect Mm -hmm. with i liken that to just being a really unique thinker and a really interesting writer and i did i i enjoyed it a lot there is a problem here yeah it's a big problem Uh uh-huh dupe holds his phone vertically and all the video that's streaming is horizontal so you tell me maybe that's dupe's power oh wow that's really what he does it's no matter how he takes the video it's always in the correct aspect ratio that's his patron power yeah, so like I dug it. I did. I really didn't mind reading it first. I was like, I don't want to read that because I didn't read it before. But also, I'm much older and different than I was then. It felt out of time, you know. It, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a book now. I think that's the all red effect to a large extent. But also, you know, the both of the creators made their bones in the late '80s and '90s. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they are from a different time. It all is. So this is a special issue, giant size ecstatics, which is going to lead into the excellent number one, a new series coming next year. That was a weird choice, by the way. We have uh, six months, I guess. Why would you do that? I don't know. That's insane. It's done by even the regular comic standards of three months out. Of yeah, promotion that, that's insane. Months out. Yeah. And we have less memory and attention span than ever. That, that seems like a really bad choice to me. So this is it's a meta version of the Giant Size X-Men issue that brought the, you know, the, new, the old yeah. team to a close and brought the new team in. So this is basically what this is, but now we wait at least six months for the next issue. Ratings. Ratings. I'm going to give it a four. 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 And are you going to read the excellent number one when it comes out in 2020? Probably not. Probably not. It'll probably be the Patreon pick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe. So there you go. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. If you're a patron, you can vote out a book of the rundown. Listen, Patreon.com slash iFanboy is where you can go to help support this show. It is really important to do that for our show, do that for other things, do things that you support. There's a lot of people who go up there and and throw up Patreons and they have vague things. We do this show and you guys help us do that. And it is – I feel like I'm spending more time in this show than I ever have. Maybe it's because there's only two of us now instead of three (laughs) and there's more comics than ever. 33% more work. It is a significant time commitment for both of us. Um, And so the patron – really helps to offset that and I, I don't know if we make that completely clear but also we want to give back to you guys for it so there's their goals there are stretch goals we will add 
a part of me wants you to reach the, the stretch goal to add the non non comics media podcast. Big part of me doesn't, but we will do that. We're doing the patron hangouts. We are doing the books, bloods and talks bloods. Um, we're trying to make it worth it for you. And again, that next, that next goal includes really shoring up the inventory of our video shows up on the website where we look young and wear shorts. There's t-shirt store and other items that you can have printed because that is the amazing digital print-on-demand world that we live in. Over at ifanboy.threadless.com, there are seven designs over there. You can go over to ifanboy.com support where there is just a link for a direct donation for, via PayPal if you feel like throwing a little something in the chip jar. We appreciate that, obviously. And then finally, you can go to ifanboy.com Amazon. You, you find links to buy the Booksplode books. You'll find a general link for Amazon there. We always link the pick of the week on that show, on the episodes that you can do it that too. The other thing that you get out of this for those of you who sign up at $5 a month or more, you are put into the queue, into the, it's, I was going to, I was thinking of one of those lottery things that you mm, spin. Yeah. It's not that random though. It's really just in order. <laughs> That's we, true. We uh, give out our superpowers. So the first up here is Alan Robertson. Mm-hmm. Alan Robertson works like a human dehumidifier. In okay. any room that he is in, he removes ambient humidity to bring it to a comfortable temperature for all of the occupants of that room. It is summertime in the Northeast for Josh. Yes, it is. And that may be on his mind right now. I'm literally staring at my dehumidifier in my basement. (laughs) But the thing about it is I have to empty it frequently because I don't have an exhaust port for it. So if I had that power, it would be really helpful. And I also, I hate air conditioning. Well, it dries you out. I like what it does and I like being in it and I'm glad I have it. But I don't like the sound of it, and I don't like waking up with, like, that you're completely dried up. I don't right. want that. I want this over. On the other hand, melting in the hellstorm that is the outside world now is, is also. Oh, oh, sure. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tra- But then by using the air conditioning, we're actually just making it worse. So you can't win. No, that's life. Max Howes, Max Howes cleans up any mess. Just wave of his hand, the mess is clean. Okay. That's actually quite useful. Yeah. So... There's different kinds of messes. Mm-hmm. I have little kids. Sure. There's the kind of mess where you need to remove the element that has been added to an environment where it should not be. Spills, dirt, mud, these kinds of things. Sure. And you want to discard that stuff. Then mm-hmm. there's the kind of mess where there's the dishes. Yep. There's Sometimes there's toys everywhere. There's books everywhere. And those things go back to where they need to be. Correct. Is that controlled by yes. Max? Yes. Okay. Wave of his hand. Cleans up any mess. Save a lot of time. Yeah. He wouldn't need to play The Sims. <laughs> no, he, <laughs> he, he, he also would be very helpful in the, you know, a Quentin Tarantino scenario. He would be the wolf. Sure. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, oh there oh. it is. Show's over. <laughs> <laughs> Mason Havens mm. uh, has the ability to wipe out fictional continuity that he doesn't like. Like off the face of the earth? Yeah. Yeah. For everyone? Don't like Damian Wayne? Wave the hand. He's gone from the the world. The record. Not yeah. just his not just his continuity. Yeah, it just disappears from all of the things that he existed in. That's um a so very potentially Oh damaging power. It requires that it be uh, wielded with great thoughtfulness. But for example, if you were like, I really don't like that Alfred got his hand cut off, mm-hmm. never happened. No one remembers it. He's the kid from the Twilight Zone, but for, for continuity. Yeah. Specifically, yeah, genre continuity in popular culture. I hope he doesn't spend any time on the internet. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. You know, if he's reading a lot of fan theories, we could have a big problem. 
Now the question is, we, do we know it's ever happened? No. So we have no idea. He might. He, this might be a real thing. He could be doing it now. We'd have no idea. No. You've unleashed a possible villain into the patron powers. We don't have a lot of sort of. We have a lot of low level powers. We don't have a lot of god level powers. Right. Yeah. So you got to be real careful. Otherwise, uh, that was, what is that kid's name? Do they ever name that kid? I don't think they do. It's a good life. Oh. That's the name of the episode. Oh, it's. I referred to that so often in the in the young childhood of my first son. Isn't it Danny? Well, the ac- actor's name is Bill Moomy. Yeah. I know that much. It's a creepy episode. Anyway, it's Mark... good you did that. Katuzny. Mark K- Katuzny. K- Katuzny. Sorry, Keep Mark. Keep going. Mark, if he had a superhero name, it'd be Icy Hot. Really? On his left hand, it's Icy. His right hand's Hot. Okay. So you know, if you if you have some sore muscles, he can he can help you out there. But if you also if you need uh, if you need some, some heat to loosen up, he's also got that. Now he's not like shooting fire and ice. It's just one hand's warm, one hand's cold. Okay. Icy hot. That's very nice. After the mission's over, he can give you a rub down depending on what kind of heat or cold application you need. There's a, there's a big call for that in this house. <laughs> Plantar fasciitis alone. Icy hot. Icy hot. By the way, Bill Moomy played a character named Anthony Fremont. It's the name of the character in the Twilight Zone episode. That's the name of the kid? Anthony? It's Good Life. Yeah, which was surprising. I didn't know Anthony. That. He turns to Manta. There's the shadow of the Jack in the Box guy. It's Ugh. creepy. It's a great oh, episode. It's really. Like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I like comic books, and you've never seen that episode of the Twilight Zone or any episode of the Twilight Zone, stop everything you're doing. That should not be erased from cultural existence, and it kind of was. So now we have to tiptoe around Mason Havens. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have the best thoughts, Mason. The best opinions. The thing is, what he needs to learn to do is to view things in perspective. Mm -hmm. He has to not immediately go, this is crap. He has to try to understand why he doesn't like something or does. We need to get him into many cultural literacy classes and and Mm -hmm. really understand. Because if he had that power as a kid, he'd wipe everything out. Yeah, it's true. When did it manifest? Like he would just wipe out anything boring. Right. And I'm, I'm just going to say it for the sake of time, it came up later. But I recommend that you do a smallish pop culture opinion podcast for years and just sort of learn how to how to meter your opinions. That's what I think. I think we have time for a very quick email, which I think this is. Oh, you son of a bitch. It's very quick. Alex from Wellington, New Zealand says, with all your recent conversation around Frank Miller about his contribution to comics and how he helps push us into the modern age, I realized I had an extremely important and controversial question to ask regarding his legacy. How do you fit 300 on your shelf? There's no way I can find a do it that doesn't look silly. Or more seriously, how do you organize your books by character, alphabetical, by writer? I organize mine, publisher, slash character, slash chronological. Now, 300 was a, ver- a horizontal comic. Yeah, landscape. Landscape size. And there's been a couple of those over the years. Not a lot. But it makes a problem when you're trying to shelve the book. If you don't have a very deep shelf, you're not going to be able to well, slide it in there you know, with your uh Problem with that out. right away is because it's such a long book, the book block tends to, the, the internal pages, tends to droop and pulls the binding away from the top, but not the bottom. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I, I noticed that was happening. I was like, oh, that's not right. So then I, I loaded it vertically mm-hmm. so that the book block hangs down. Also problematic, I learned. So you could either do it the other way with the binding down and the pages up if it was sort of wedged against there. That would be if you have a tall enough area. But then really the answer is flat. 
find a place. Like I have a, a certain number of books, those really oversized DC ones like Wednesday Comics. I just lay those flat somewhere like on top of the shelves because otherwise they get ruined. So how do you organize in general though? You're the only one with a shelf. I don't have too much organization. I, I have things in like groups. So like mm-hmm. I have a bunch of Darwin Cook stuff together. I have all my absolutes together. You know, like things that are collections. I think I have my like vertigo-y late 90s, 2000 stories are sort of in the same area. Mm-hmm. But uh, over time, every time I got a new thing, I didn't want to like reorganize everything to fit it. Sure. So it's not it makes I know where everything is though. You know, well, I look at them all the time. If I recall correctly, you're at the time in the early 2000s. My DVDs were like your that. Your DVDs were like that. It made no sense yeah. to anyone else, and it was constant source of pain for everyone who who saw your DVDs. But you understood it, and that's the most important thing. I still do. I'm looking at them right now. They're, they make sense to me. Actually, those are alphabetical. I think that I caught enough shit from you guys for long enough that I made them <laughs> alphabetical. What is this system? The Kubricks are all together under K, though. That makes sense. Yeah. Mine are all in bins in my storage unit. I, I don't yeah. have shelves anymore, so uh, I don't organize them anyway. They just go into a bin. If I did organize them, it would probably be alphabetical by title, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I like that. I always like having either groups of character stuff or groups of, like, mostly groups of creator stuff together. Like, I have all of Alex Robinson's books together because I mm-hmm. want to have them all, you sure. know, like, so that doesn't quite work. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'd do it. And then creator, you know, that's just a single author. Then you've got other things like well, you put all your Steve Dillon stuff together. You put all your Garth Ennis stuff together. Right. Like, eh. I'm glad I don't run a store. I'd have a really fun time figuring it out. I that, That's that for someday a... in the future. <laughs> Contact at ifanboy.com. That's where you can get on the email on the show. Very quickly, let's get out of here. There's some shows out now that you can listen to that are not this one. There's the talk split I did with Tom King. People seem to really like that. I believe it's our it is our most popular interview podcast we've ever done. There's the Daredevil Born Again book explode, which if you haven't listened to it, you really should because it, it you'll go get the book and you'll be like, oh, I really do need to read this, and then you'll read it and everything will change and the world will go into color again like those allergy commercials. Mm-hmm. There is a podcast for X Men Dark Phoenix. You could take that or leave that, to be mm-hmm. honest. There's a podcast for Spider-Man Far From Home, which I'm sorry I couldn't make it on. Um, I would have liked to talk about it, but uh, i tell you something. It's a fine film. That's your quick review? Yep. It's a fine film. It's a fine film. It's a very fine film. Coming up soon, Booksplode, Planetary Book 2. That's our July Booksplode. I think we're recording that next week to release that following week, so it'll be out the last week of July. No, I'm sorry. Recording mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Next weekend. Not this weekend, but next weekend. You don't know when we're recording this, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But it's going to be it's going to be coming out the last week of July. Batman Hush, uh, the animated pet podcast, in August sometime, probably late it August. Happened again. I was like, don't make me read. Oh, okay, good. The late August for that one. And then if you're a patron, one of the things we do is our monthly hangout, which we hang out for an hour and, and talk nonsense. And that is uh, July 21st at the regular time. So you can check that out. The information for that's on the patron page. That's our next hangout. Head over to ifanboy.com. Find all of our podcasts, the ones we just mentioned. All of our old shows are there. All of our old articles are there. There's a lot of content hidden in ifanboy.com. You can find out what the Pick League is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy and following us at ifanboy on Twitter and following us at ifanboycomics on Instagram. That's where you can find all the announcements plus the Best of Week in Panels feature. This week, there's a lot of them. And also, during Comic-Con, I'm going to be posting to that account from the show floor. We'll see what happens. We'll see what kind of wacky adventures I can get into on the Connor's floor of Comic-Con. Wacky adventures. I may do that, or I may just be at the pool. I haven't decided yet. Yeah, it's fine. Or you may take pictures and not be able to upload them because there's no signal, and then just give up. That's true. And also, finally, at J.A. Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram is Josh, and I am at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram. I am not on Twitter. Do not tweet at me. They do it all the time. 
<laughs> if you like this show, you like any show, make sure you leave uh, ratings and recommendations for the where you can. Uh, star ratings on Apple Podcasts or whatever it is you use, but Apple Podcasts is still the, the big one. Better yet, you can tell people about it directly, either on social media or in person, or go to that threadless thing and buy a sticker and then put that in your car. And then everyone will be like, what is that? Well, nothing makes sense. Nothing matters. You'd be like, you should buy a shirt. And then we'd be like, yay. Help us. <laughs> we are the nihilist show for our times. It's true. That'll do. Good job with the alarm. It really, you know, because I've got the clock in front of me. And it's very easy to ignore that clock. But when it's going to yeah. be beep at you, that might be our new our new fun thing. You people better get used to that. <laughs> Especially next I, week during the con. I don't yeah. have. I won't have a lot of extra time. But until then, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Go get those Audible shows. Not kidding. Mm-hmm.